Hey everyone, I'm Laura Scapatici, the host of That Good May Become, a new podcast that explores and reveals spiritual experiences in our everyday lives. This is season number two, and I'm so glad you're joining me. I started this podcast to disrupt the forces of materialism that are disrupting our humanity. And I hope you'll join me in exploring your own spiritual biography and your understanding of what spirituality means and what materialism is in the world today. Today. The topic that I'm taking on next is one that's rooted very deeply in materialism at this point in our culture and wasn't before. I hope you enjoy this solo episode, just me for about 25 minutes, telling you some stories and looking forward to the entire season. And thank you again for tuning in and please follow the podcast, like it, rate it, share it, and that makes it get out into the world so other people can become part of this discourse about this other piece of our existence. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to That Good May Become with me, Laura Scapatici, where we learn to illuminate the esoteric in our everyday lives. Tis a fearful thing to love what death can touch, a fearful thing to love, to hope, to dream, to be, to be, and oh, to lose, a thing for fools, this, and a holy thing, a holy thing to love, for your life has lived in me, your laugh once lifted me, your word was gift to me. To remember this brings painful joy. Tis a human thing, love, a holy thing, to love what death has touched. Okay, everybody, don't freak out. This season is about death. That's right. Okay, I'm not making jokes about death. I'm just here to talk about it because um, guess what? Well, Need I say more? Uh, we're going to have a bunch of different guests on this season talking about different aspects of death and dying. Some about like the very practical pieces like home funerals, some about staying connected to the dead. And I thought I would just start out with a solo episode, which I've never done. But I think I have a lot to say on this topic because my guests always share a little bit of their spiritual biography that I tell you a little bit about my spiritual biography with death. My mom, her mom died when she was 10 and her older brother died. I think he was about 16. And in my family, people have attempted to take their own lives and have also attempted to take the lives of others. So how close can you get to death? That is pretty close without actually dying. So death is filled with experiences of humor and fear in my house and also shame. It was really kept away from me, hidden as a mystery and as something to be protected from, which yeah, that makes sense. But it's actually something that's unavoidable. So I remember when I was about, I was a teenager, there was a woman that took care of me and she was called my granny, Granny Mary. And whenever she was upset with people, she would say this really funny saying, she would say, they can go to grass. 
So she'd like talk about the neighbor. She'd be like, old Hemwich over there, he can go to grass, uh, which I think is just a euphemism for dying. So when her husband, my pappy, died as an older man, I didn't go to the funeral. My mom didn't want me to go to the funeral, even though I was a teenager. And I remember being at my granny's house and her like white, white hair and her kitchen apron on and uh, just standing there in this house that I had done a lot of my youngest years growing up in and, you know, had a very distinct smell and this wooden kitchen table. And she always had cookies in a jar and like tea that she was making. And she was standing there and she said, why didn't you come to the funeral? And she had these really like pleading, earnest eyes just asking me. And I remember I felt this sense of being a bit closed up right then. And I was like, well, I wanted to remember him living, not dead. Hmm. I have a different take on this now. Though I think that that's true and that is also a way to deal with death. I have a new understanding of that now. So my mother was trying to protect me and I think that's because her mom died when she was so young. And she told me this story when her mother died, she was... This is an incredible story. It was New Year's Eve. She was 47 years old and she was pregnant. And um, my aunt, the eldest um, child in the family, was also pregnant. She was 19. So there's a 19-year-old pregnant and her mother at 47 is pregnant. And her mother goes into the hospital. My grandmother, Laura Abigail, goes into the hospital and you know the doctors are not really around. And I think it's about 1953. And she dies. She hemorrhages and she dies in, in childbirth. And the baby dies too. And her name, I believe, was Melissa. And they named her. And so there's a funeral. And here my mom is 10. And she has to, she told me in like astonishment. And definitely I could feel almost like horror that she had to walk up to the casket and kiss her mother and kiss the baby um, who was, I think, in her mother's arms and uh, walk away from that and just remembering the horror of it and how difficult that was for her. So she was traumatized by that experience and didn't want us to have an experience like that. So my father is Syrian. Um, I remember her trying to protect us from Syrian funerals too. So all my Syrian relatives listening, I love your tradition. And the most recent Syrian funeral I was at was my uncle. First of all, I was definitely, because I'm half Syrian, half Seas, it was like, I knew I didn't quite fit in because I didn't grow up in the culture in the same way. I mean, I did grow up in the culture, but not in the same way as if both my parents were from Syria and spoke Arabic in the house. So anyway, I showed up at a gathering where people were sharing food and there was, everyone had black on, there was not a stitch of any other color in the room. It was amazing. I had never seen anything like it. Like every single, no, not gray, nothing. Every, you couldn't have like a white shirt under, no, everything was completely black down to the, all the details. And at the funeral, um, my dad and his, you know, siblings went up to the casket and wailing and crying at the casket and just showing their pain and just saying, why, why are you gone? Why are you gone? And it's showing that love for the person, for the the body, the person in the casket. And so that was a very different experience. And my mom sort of disdained that. But again, I think this comes all from fear and this shame about death. 
in some of the culture in this country, there is this shame and there's a hiding away from it. Um, but what I found is that people want to talk about death. And I guess I'll just say a little bit more that my first real experience with death came, well, let me back it up. I never still, I still never really thought about death until I got older. And one day I was in college and I, I did think of death. And I, my thought was, if my mom dies, because she was really just so supportive and I'd be like struggling in college, I got my own apartment, I was lonely, this person broke up with me, I was so sad. And, you know, she was just helping me do like mind maps and all kinds of stuff to figure out if I was going to go to grad school, like just so amazingly supportive. Thank you, Mary Beth. Um, and I thought if my mom dies, I'll die. Like, I am not going to be able to live. And five years later, she did. She died. And that is the first person that died in my life that I was close to. The first person was the closest person, and that was my mother. And it was a difficult dying. She was sick uh, for a couple years with cancer. Even now, like I'm talking about, I can feel like just, you know how people used to go, cancer, like that. I still feel like that, I think, because of the, the trauma with her being sick. And I was really one of the main people there with my Aunt Gail and my stepdad that was there too, but he was working and kind of detached from it in some ways. And so we just watched her decline. I Someone gave me a book. It was a beautiful novel. I wish I could figure out what it was. I don't know at this point, but it was about a mother that got sick and she died in the home and she passed away like looking out the window. So isn't this like the perfect way to die, right? Like you just grow. Well, she wasn't old in the book, which that's not the best way to go. That's old would be good, not young, but she was looking out the window and she just faded away. She passed away and everybody was kind of ready. And like this book was like a preparation novel. Like it was like, here's how it can look if you want it to. So my mom did die at home, which was nice in some ways for some people, but I'm sure some of you are like, hell no, that is not what I want. But uh, that is what happened. And I remember when the ambulance came and took her away, that felt all wrong to me. So we all went into the room where she had died before the ambulance came. And my brother was there and my aunt Gail and we're like looking at the body. I can't even believe I'm going to tell you what we said. So my mom always wore lipstick and she loved her lipstick. She always put it on before she got out of the car everywhere. She, she usually had her nails like nicely done by herself. She didn't go to any place to get them done. So my aunt Gail comes into the room and she looks at her and she's like, she needs lipstick. And then she says, well, they might as well use Sharpie now. Yeah, that's the kind of dark humor I'm talking about. So even though it was hidden, I think we had this sense that, you know, what could we do? Here it was. It was right in front of us. She had suffered for so long and had been on a lot of painkillers um, all through the end too. And so we made a joke. And if you listen to my brother's podcast against everyone with Connor Habib, you will know that 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 brother of mine has the darkest sense of humor um, and can laugh at pretty much anything or make a joke about anything. But even though I had had that experience, I was still really unable to talk about or understand death. And in fact, while my mom was sick and dying, I went for a walk. I can remember I went for a walk with my friend, Marcel. She's just like the sweetest yoga teacher kind of person. And she would sort of like ask me like, how am I doing? And this is while my mom is sick. And I would just say, 
well, tell me about that yoga class again. I could not even like, so we did like, you know, maybe, I don't know, three loops around this huge park in Pennsylvania. And I could not bring myself to talk about it all. So while I was in it, I couldn't talk about it. And before it happened, I was uh, afraid and, you know, it was like hidden to me. And then after I was super afraid. So here's what happened. I start working for the Anthroposophical Society in America, which is a an organization that offers people education and membership and community around spirituality and in particular anthroposophy. I get there and they're like, oh, there is someone that um, gifted some money to this society to do a conference on death and dying. And I was like, this is not, <laughs> are you kidding me? Okay. So I start to, and I'd had this experience before, like while my mom was sick, I, I was seeing a therapist and I was like in a group of, of women and I started talking about it and I started to shake and get really cold and like I had to put a blanket around me. So obviously there's like some trauma there, right? So I'm, I'm starting to like get cold as they're telling me this. And then I get into the planning committees with like the most amazing women Two have had lost children. They lost their girls together in a car accident. And um, they had done all this incredible, I mean, how do you heal from that? And they did, and they didn't just heal themselves. They've healed so many other people through their stories. Their names are Linda Burke and Marianne Dietz. I'll make sure to put some of the resources in the show notes um, in these committees. And then they're like, well, maybe we can, or maybe this was even my idea why, we can like do on Thursday, we can do a film screening about death and dying because there are lots of great films on death and dying. So I'm like, okay. They're like, well, why don't you watch it just to, you know, check it out and make sure. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to be the one to watch a movie on death and dying. Like, I just want to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like that's enough death and dying for me. I can get behind vampire death, but <laughs> really not real death. So I start watching this movie produced by Heidi Boucher. And she has, and you'll hear her later in the season, talking about home funerals and the amazing experience. The movie's called In the Parlor. And I start to get through it. And this new framework of connecting to the dead starts to emerge for me. So during this whole time between when my mom dies and the conference planning is about, it's a long time. Let's see, 2001. And I start planning this conference in like, what, 2017? Okay, 16 years. And I still have this complete like trauma response to death. Yeah, that's wow. I'm reflecting on how long that is right now. That's a long time. I hope this podcast season can help you if you're in that long of an unhealed time with trauma around death. So it's a new picture starts to emerge and they just start telling me how they read to their daughters or on certain days. And actually while we were planning, like someone would, someone's friend on the planning committee passed away and they brought their name into the group and they said their name and they talked about them a little bit and it just changed my understanding of death. So say the person's name, start to talk about them and have a memory, light a candle on your table. And now that's what we do. That's our tradition in our house. Um, when someone we know passes away, we light a candle and we share some memories about them or we'll eat their favorite food or something like that. So I start getting this new framework that it's unavoidable. I started having all this health anxiety about death. Um, after my mom died, it starts to starts to shift and change. And I'm like, okay, death is a part of life. And here, maybe 
maybe there's something that comes after and there's a way to connect. Then I start to have dreams about my mom. And in one of the dreams, she's just like (laughs) in an oil painting and she's just standing there and, or she's maybe like on like reclining on a chase lounge or something like that. She's like reclining and she's just like wants people to look at her and see her. And I start to understand maybe this is what death is about. Maybe this is what we can do for those that have died. And of course we've had a a really crazy year and a half with death coming into the forefront and, you know, getting like daily death tolls. And I talk about this with the next guest that you'll hear, Jolie Luba, our consciousness about death and connecting with those that have died has, has shifted this year, I think, in a, in a pretty incredible way. I think connection is possible. And I think what I mean by connection is connection with those that have cross the threshold, which is one of the terms I like to use when describing what happens in death. So you go from this threshold to the next, just as you would when you're meditating here, you go into a different space, you cross a threshold and there are thresholds all over the place, but death is definitely one of them. There's also possible to be connected with death yourself and understand it and have a working relationship with it instead of having it be hidden and fearful and shameful and something that is um, put away and ignored or misunderstood. Or I think I'll just say that different religions and different spiritual philosophies have different pictures of what death is. You know, when I was young, it was about heaven, right? Uh, Which was, I think, hard for me to quite understand, but certainly felt safer. And now reincarnation, you know, when I first heard about it, it was like sort of the sexy concept of reincarnation. Oh yes, I was, um, you know, Cleopatra, right? But it's like, no, there's, there's definitely, I have a, definitely have an expanded understanding of what that means if a person connects with that as a possibility. So that's another possible outcome. And then of course, it's like, you know, you die and that's it. And I think Mary Oliver, who actually wrote a lot about death was sort of like, no, it's, it's just kind of over. So live now. There's nothing, nothing past there, which really surprised me about her because, oh my gosh, like what a spiritual poet. So my new framework now is to honor the dead. That's, that's part of it. And to have a conception that I can connect with the dead. So honor, honor the dead by saying people's names, asking questions, um, lighting candles, doing something that was meaningful to them and staying connected to them, like reading Emily Dickinson for my mom, for example, or offering her some sort of, you know, the dead, if you feel they're there, they can't have the sensory experiences we do. So why not enjoy the sensory things for them and share with them like, mm, I'm eating this peach. I'm thinking of you. I know you love peach pie. So whenever I make pie, I, th- I think of my mother and how she used to make the most incredible strawberry rhubarb actually is my favorite pie. And when people lose people to just show up and be there and be present. And I actually took my kids to a home funeral a few years ago. I'm so grateful that this community member had a home funeral and we were able to go and her husband had passed away. My children were able to walk up to the body and just see what what death is like, what it's like when there's no 
enlivening essence in the body anymore. So I was, I was very grateful for that experience because I want to make sure that my children don't have shame or fear in the ways that I did. And of course, there's always pain and there's grief. And I'm going to read you a little quote about grief right now from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who most people know about. The reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same. Nor should you be the same, nor would you want to. And so I leave you with that quote, and thank you for listening to this first solo episode. And you can jump over to my website, larscapatici.com, and my contact information is there. I'm hoping to have a place up where you can record little videos and tell me about your spiritual biography. And it could be any experiences related to death as well that you'd like to share. 